know, I think I want to start, uh, I'd like to ask you a question which would be a fine place to start even while we're getting a sound check. You, um, and this is just about you because we all know about Daniel Pearl, the journalist, but you are also a journalist and you tell this really beautiful story in your book about how you, how the seed was planted for you to become a journalist with your right. grandfather in Cuba. And I just wondered yeah. if you'd tell me that story. Uh, <laughs> yes, I hadn't, I hadn't seen my, um, my grandparents for a long time. If I have a I'd ever met them, actually. I don't think I had met them because my mother had left Cuba um, and hadn't gone back. So when I saw my grandfather, I was nine. And um, it was a time where they were living in a little house, my grandfather and my grandmother. And my grandmother talked a lot. She talked too much. And uh, she took a lot of space in the house. And I think um, my grandfather decided uh, artificially to stop talking um, uh, altogether. So it's quite um, remarkable that a person yeah. could do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's very strange, isn't it? So, uh, so he wouldn't talk. He just wouldn't talk within the uh, the frame of the house, at least. And so, when we went to visit, I um, I was very intrigued, and I thought he was mute. And when I uh, found out he wasn't mute, uh, what I decided to do is to wake up with him. Cause we would wake up before dawn and ask him questions to see whether he would talk to me. So that's what I did, and uh, I woke up and I started asking him questions about his life, and he answered. But he hadn't talked for a long time, so he was a very uh, um, raw voice and very <laughs> deep. And so, and then he took me for a walk, and, and I asked him so many questions about his life, and I think he hadn't talked about his own life for so long, forever maybe. Uh, so he felt bizarre uh, to to tell me uh, this whole story, his granddaughter. But then, so that at the end of that day, he said, uh, "You should become a journalist because you ask good questions." And, that's how <laughs> and did that happened. really did that really get you going? I mean, was that is that where you traced the beginning of your work as a journalist? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was a story that remained uh, in my head all the time, and uh, I was wondering uh, why he asked me that question. It was the only question, I mean, the only thing he told, he told me, really, about myself. So it stayed. Um, and then um, later on in life, I, um, I had a very good friend who was sick with AIDS. And this man um, had been a journalist, had worked on television, and I knew he was uh, sick. So I... Um, uh, I told him, if you want, we do a story together. We do, you know, some kind of a last story for you to to make on on television. So we did that, and um, and he was really happy. And, that, and maybe two months later, he died, but he was really, really happy to be able to do that last story. And it was about seduction. <laughs> I had chosen the theme, so it would be a light theme, and so it was about seduction. And uh, so we did that story together. And he also um, was the person that you know, second person to tell me you should do that. This should be your job. Mm. So those are two people mean, mean a lot for me. And and did you meet uh, your husband Daniel Pearl through your work as a journalist? No, I met him at um, at a party in Paris. Oh. Uh, where we were both invited, and uh, he was with a girlfriend. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't, she was at the other side of the room, so I couldn't tell. But uh, she had brought him there, and um, and we met. We were introduced to each other because we were both journalists, so we started talking on that topic. Yeah. But uh, it wasn't a professional encounter. You know, I want to say the, the sweep of your story. I mean, you you have had a very dramatic life. I mean, the stories you tell about your family... Um, of origin, in addition to all the things that happened to you in your marriage and to your husband, it's, you know, you you talk about 
experiencing life as a book that never ends. You use that phrase right. in the book. And I, and, and I think that you have a unique perspective from which to approach life that way, which may be a curse and a blessing at the same time. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, it's maybe the presence of, of death in your life when you... Um, uh, supposedly, I think death is supposed to make us think about life, right? And uh, so, to me, um, uh, as I saw life ending, lives ending. Because um, your father committed suicide, right? You had my father committed suicide, mm-hmm. and uh, then my mom died of cancer. And I, uh, so we had a small family, but people passed away, and uh, I was there almost each time, uh, except for my father. So I, I, I saw death. I encountered death, and. Um, so to me, uh, it, it, it feels like, yeah, life is like, you know, it's, it's like a big book and we each have a page of this book, a white page, and our lives is our page. And, uh, you know, so that's what I learned. It's, uh, it's so important to, uh, to fill it with uh, meaningful deeds as long as you're alive. And I think the, the curse of death is um, that you can't do anything about yourself anymore. So as long as you're alive, you should uh, you know, take care of that page. And if you don't write anything, it's just going to end anyway, and, and it will be a non-interesting or white or blank page. Mm. But, you know, there is something very, very, um, um, you know, uh, I don't know how to say, but like uh, with the law of cause and effect, you know, it's just so, it, that's the way it is. Mm. There's no coming back to the beginning of the page if you made a mistake or something like that. So... Uh, this is why I, th- you know, I think it's important. Like death reminds you that um, it's going to end at some point, and you better, um, um, you know, make the things that are important to you and say the things that are important to you. Didn't you also, even in your wedding vow with Daniel Pearl, have something have a line about your life together being like literature? Yeah, that's his entry. <laughs> okay. So we decided <laughs> we decided to um, um, to then he's of Jewish origins, and um, my mother, my father was Jewish too, but oh. I'm a, I'm a Buddhist. Yeah. Yes. And um, so we decided to write our own ceremony and um, a Jewish Buddhist kind of ceremony. <laughs> uh, and so we wrote our own um, contract, and uh, we had different entries. Each. So then he wrote that entry and he says uh, to view our life together as a work of literature um, at the time I didn't really know what he meant you know <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and he explained that exactly uh, um, you know th- that that you know it's going to be unique our life is going to be unique and, and it, it is our duty to make it interesting and it is our duty to uh, to make it rich mm-hmm. so I think it's very similar to that white page philosophy I was yeah. talking you, to you about earlier um, and uh, but we took it very seriously yeah. <laughs> this contract and I still do oh. so tell me were you now your father was Dutch and your mother was Cuban you weren't raised Buddhist were you I can't no, I wasn't raised okay. Buddhist I, uh, I started practicing Buddhism when I was 17 years old mm-hmm. so I wasn't raised anything Except for uh, you know Cuban culture, yeah. uh, but in terms of uh, religious um, approach, I had none. I just when I was a kid, I went to church, but that was my own choice because I had uh, Christian friends around was me. Was your so mother Catholic and... from Cuba? No, no, no. no she wasn't. Uh, yeah, the thing is, like the you know the Cuban Revolution kind of erased uh, the, yeah. the the religiousness in people in a way. So it was not at the time. It was not. Um, 
you know, permitted to be a Catholic or a practicing Catholic, really, because it didn't work with communism. So communism was supposed to be your religion. Yeah. Uh, so people had a mix of um, Catholics, belief, and uh, animist from Africa. Yeah. So they have this all saint, santero, santeria uh, beliefs. But my mother was not really, like, she knew about that, and it's, it's very um, included in the culture and the music, you know, so it becomes less religious, more cultural kind of approach. But in terms of um of a of a religion she would not call herself a Catholic, no. Okay. And 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 how did you become Buddhist? Well, I um my brother is actually the the first person who um encountered Buddhism uh, and so one day we were I was seventeen, he was nineteen and I guess it was a difficult time for my mother because she felt that um uh, you know, in a way, she couldn't protect us so much anymore, and she was afraid. So I know that's her story. She said that um, one day when she she was afraid we were, you know, going to smoke dope and things like that. And so one day she she prayed. She said uh, to my father, saying, "You know, you gotta help me." And that day, um, my brother actually um, met someone who taught him about Buddhism. And he wouldn't say anything to us. But one day I took his jacket and I saw beads inside. <laughs> so I thought he was uh, he had joined a, sac- a cult. Um, <laughs> I was very worried. And so I talked to, about uh, about it with him. And he said, okay, no, you can come to a meeting and you, you'll see. And so I went to a meeting and I had no, I, I had no seeking spirit, particularly, you know, particularly with Buddhism or any kind of um, kinship with Buddhism. So, but I ended up in, I went to this meeting and I saw, I saw a lot of, people that were so different from one another that I was surprised that, you know, some kind of philosophy would bring them together. And that was my first encounter with Buddhism. And I was very impressed by how eclectic uh, the Buddhists were and Mm -hmm. how they were telling their life's experience and and, and none of those life's experiences really, um, you know, looked like the other or they were not trying to look like the others either. So I thought it was... was, um, it was strong. I mean, it was pretty interesting that he would do that. And I decided to uh, to try. Mm. And that was a long time ago. It was almost, uh, yeah, almost 20 years ago. Mm. And I never stopped. Yeah. Never stopped chanting. You know, you you start your book, um, A Mighty Heart, <clears throat> sorry, in Pakistan and, and in the present tense. You're describing that sort of living there, arriving there as a journalist together with your husband and then moving into the day on which he disappeared and but there's a we learn a lot about your life and and I think the character of the two of you in that also that you're pregnant and how that's flowing into the way you're approaching life and even experiencing this new country um and there's a lot in there about you you might not call it your religious sensibility or your husband's religious sensibility. But, you know, there's a line where you, you describe um, asking him what his, Danny, you call him, what is what was his personal religion, right? And he said, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, well, we were living in India and uh, relig- uh, religiosity, I don't know if you say that in English, but, you know, the, mm-hmm. just a re- religious or spiritual element in India is so strong. It's just like, all over the place. And it's kind of, a, for me, it was a bizarre, um, um, something bizarre because 
I, I felt there's so much to do for the people here, you know, this, like for food and for hygiene and just for um, material life that how come is everybody so spiritual about everything? You know? <laughs> so I, I had kind of a conflict with it. And, um, and because the question is just all over the place in India, it's always coming, uh, like, you know, un, unlike America or, the or question Europe. Being... The question of spirituality. Uh, there's always a spiritual explanation about everything and, and just uh, beliefs come into conversation all the time and it's just very present spirituality is almost like part of your you know the oxygen is just all over the place and of course there's temples all over the place mm-hmm. but even in the the subjects that we were uh, covering as journalists we always have some kind of spiritual element or religious element in everything we did so I was just uh, surprised by that that uh, high level of spirituality in India and I asked Danny um you know, by the way, what would you call yourself? Um, and and he thought about it. And uh, I, I was wondering whether he, have, having been born Jewish and having been educated also um, uh, Jewish, would he, would he, did he really actually believe in God and would he uh, call himself a, a practicing Jewish? And uh, and he said no. The, the, for me, that what's more, um, what I would call my my strongest beliefs are is ethics. 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 Yeah. Ethics. And I could say the same, even though I'm a practicing Buddhist, um, because I believe that, you know, it is. I think religion for me um, is is a tool. It's not a mean, but a tool to to be able to live up to your own beliefs. That's that's mm. what I use it for. Mm. And I think that's what he meant. Um, but he also said, like, if if you know, if something like um, like a life and death situation would 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 happen, or he needed to uh, to relate to some kind of higher um, presence or something like that, then he would go to his own roots. If he had to go through to a religion, he would go to his own roots. To, to his Jewish roots. To his Jewish roots, mm-hmm. he would explore that because that's the most natural thing for him. But in terms of uh, a belief on which you ground your life, uh, ethics was his answer. Mm. It's fascinating to me that his mother was an Iraqi Jew, that she was born in Baghdad of an ancient Jewish Iraqi family. Right, right. Uh, Was that something he... he, I mean, I guess uh, we weren't in... The military action in Iraq had not... Well, this current military action had not begun, but it's it's so it's interesting to me because, of course, what happened to you and your husband was set in a much larger context of terrorism and the war on terrorism. And right. I don't know, that fact just seems something other than coincidental to me. I um I felt uh you know that for us it was like we were being in this at the at the crossroad of uh, international geopolitics. Yeah. And, um, you know, because of the situation in, in Palestine and Israel and and um, now in Iraq, but also, I mean, just with the Muslim world in America and, and Afghanistan, obviously. Um, so I felt, uh, yes, you know, here we have the Jewish element and we have the American element and then the Muslim element. And really that's like being at the center of the whole situation. Um, and I think, you know, for Danny and I... Um, that's why he said ethics, you know, because he that's his, that was his way of approaching the world. He might have been Jewish, but that's something that didn't, uh, as far as I saw, um, alter his approach to people. 
Like he would not come as a Jewish person. He really came as a journalist. And mm-hmm. um, and what he put forward as, um, you know, his reason to meet the people or to do this job really were journalistic reasons to do that. You know, he really, I think it's you not know, this, this whole role of transparency and truth and truth-telling. That's what mattered to him. So... Um, so I think also for me, a religious uh, religion is something on which you act upon, and and um, and uh, I, I thought and I still think it was completely his right to say, you know, that label I'm not taking on, or that label I'm not taking on, but I choose my own beliefs and I act upon them. Um, the fact that he died for that is still not something that I, uh, that made me change my mind. Mm. You know, the word ethics can sound a bit dry. It, it doesn't have a lot of um a lot of generic meaning. You just use the words truth-telling and truth and transparency. I mean, flesh that out for me a little bit more. What what that word ethics meant for you and Danny in that place in which you found yourselves as journalists, but also as human beings. Well, it's very concrete. Yeah. <laughs> it was very concrete because it really is about um, how we were going to conduct our daily life and our work. So, for instance, um, you know, one of the main challenges for journalists in, in, uh, abroad would be to the prejudices, your own prejudices. So, it's, for instance, it w- that was a constant battle to to uh, always double check with yourself in your opinion on things and, and having this really um, demanding attitude, which was, uh, um, you know, never never take even I- impressions for granted or, or people for granted. And, you know, that kind of approach um, it w- was very difficult in India because, you know, it's a, such a strong country that, or Pakistan, be, uh, and that uh, you have so many impressions and you have so many prejudices and you have so many cliches that... To fight them, it has to be a very conscious effort. So that's that's what I mean. For, for instance, that was also uh, an ethical uh, act for you was fighting your own prejudices. As oh you yeah, yeah, that's like the culture. basic of it. Mm, yeah, yeah, okay. it was the basics of it. Yeah, it's really like a conduct, like on how you behave as a human being, mm. as a professional. It's, it really is it's about your interaction with the world. That's what I mean by ethics. Uh, in no way, for me, ethics is something something you know like a general broad. Um, uh, you know, system of value. It's really something that I walk on. It's, it's really the ground on which I walk. Yeah. So something else that really jumped out at me as you describe arriving in Pakistan is how very aware you were of, of poverty, of the condition of people. There's this scene where you meet, I believe, the servant of the woman you're staying with, and you say she was pregnant, but I dare not say like me. Because you were aware that the life of that child growing up would be quite different from the life of your child, right? You know, the poverty in the world is um, is something that uh, I had you know seen before, but in this part of the world, especially in India, the, the scale of it, it was completely overwhelming to me. And it's it's I, I found it interesting that you might live in Europe, for instance, or in America, and completely ignore that whole huge part of the world. And we're talking about a billion people in India. Um, so um, that's something you know. When when you confront it every day, you know deep inside you that there is no there's not going to be any world peace unless there's some kind of wealth distribution somehow because. There's no possibility. Uh, those people are also human beings. They don't have lesser needs than we do. So it's just a completely unbalanced kind of um, of world. Um, so, you know, you can 
we're still living in the same planet, but you can choose to ignore it if your life allows you to um, because you're living somewhere and you don't have to see it. But if you're a journalist, you have to confront it. And when you confront it, you know, it's a very, uh, for me, it was a very difficult um Something very difficult to confront because, first of all, of course, I felt powerless, but also I was angry. I was mm. angry that I hadn't acknowledged that before. Mm. How could I be a journalist? And I, you know, I thought I had a, you know, approach in the world that was wild, but that was wide. I'm sorry, but um, but I had not taken that into account. I had no idea uh, of that reality. So that's something that really um, stayed with me. It it also recurs all the way through your book, your awareness of the poverty of um, of the difficulty of life in that place. And so I want to I want to try to approach some of the hard questions. And um, OK, so I mean, this one is very difficult to ask. Obviously, your husband was killed by by a, a small number of terrorists, of Islamic uh, militants, fanatics. I mean, you came face to face with Al Qaeda in a way that uh, most of us never will. Um, when you think about why your husband died, I mean, it, is it also, you know, how do you take apart not just what who those men were, but the context in which that happened? Um, I, for me, um, the fact, uh, you know, he was... Um, he was killed by hatred. And to me, to put a, a label on that hatred, you know, to know whether he was killed as an American, as a journalist, as a Jew, uh, it doesn't matter so much. Whatever, um, you know, uh, um, t- uh, label you put on it doesn't change anything to me. Uh, it's not worse or better to be to have died because you were American or because you were Jewish. You know, both ways has no. This is not a reason to kill someone. So um, uh, I am very suspicious of uh, labels, and uh, you know, if they use that, I'm certainly not. You mean the labels to, uh, they put on him as reason? On him, yes. you know, they kill them as a symbol, right? Uh, yeah. So symbolism is something I'm very wary of, and. Um, and uh, you know they they definitely use that to justify their action. Uh, I for me it's crap. You know uh, they killed a man, and that's why I wrote a book because okay, here's the here's the reality, here's yeah. the truth. That's the man you've killed, and that's something that you know that is my reality. And that's and that's who I lost. I didn't lose a symbol. No. I didn't lose a Jew. I didn't lose a, an American. You know, I lost Danny. So, you know, and that's that's the blind, uh, that's the blindness of, of terrorists, you know, who uh, also to, uh, in front of their own people justify action by like saying, you know, this was the enemy, and which is a which is a big lie. So, so for me, it's important to to uh, to um, to clean you know, or clearly state that um, you know there's no color on on hatred. You know, you. Um, you know, one reason is um, is not better than the other. I, <clears throat> you you quote um, a letter that a Pakistani journalist wrote to your friend Azra that we have a depressed society and all other avenues are closed. Only this avenue of violence is open. I'm I'm not asking you to excuse um, whether you excuse the men who killed your husband. I, that would be a, um, a ridiculous question, but I. I wonder if your thoughts in trying to make sense of this, of how this could happen, um, do 
if you do look at the larger context in, w- in which this happened and find some, some reasons there for, for how this could happen? You know, I know that for a long time, uh, that, that this could, can happen. I know it because, because it's enough to travel to know that. Uh, it's enough to explore the world. Uh, you know, for instance, in the Arab world, once you, I, I, I'm pretty familiar with the Muslim world, and when I traveled in Algeria or even in Gaza Strip or um, Morocco, whatever, uh, or Pakistan, uh, you see uh, thousands and thousands of young men who are frustrated in every way, comp- uh, you know, including sexually, um, have no perspective, oh, no work, no hope, no nothing. You know something is going to happen. You know it's going to either implode or explode, but something is going to happen because they are human, and you know what human means. You can, you're not a cow. You can't just like stay there and you know mm. until you die. So it, this is like a common sense. So I knew that for a long time, and Danny knew it too. I think um, you know that's something we've been very aware of for 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 a very long time, and. And that's when I say, you know, it's time to maybe embrace the complexity of the world uh, because it's not fair to just say, oh, you know, there's just bad guys out there. You know, the, mm-hmm. um, the, a lot of those people who are involved in Al-Qaeda operation are illiterate, young, you know, maybe the 25 years old, completely desperate. Uh, young men. But it is true that they have no access to education. They have no access to dream, period. Uh, they have no access to hope. Um, and that, that's a lot of those people. Now, you have other people that are uh, masterminding operation that are really evil, dangerous people, uh, trained to kill, trained to hurt. Um, and those conduct the operations, but they're not, you know, the people on the field. People on the field are just you'd be surprised to see the faces of those guys. You know, they're just 20, 25 years old. They could, you, no... could you have thoughts like this, you know, in the midst of what was happening to you when Danny had disappeared and you didn't know whether he was alive or dead? Yes, you know, that, um, you can change reality. I mean, it's, it's something that anybody, whatever your beliefs are, uh, you know, and, and your political inclinations are, everybody can see that. It's just a common sense. And so it's, it's just a matter of are you going to open your eyes or not? But if you are going to have some kind of honesty to the world, you realize that it's impossible. It's impossible that it just stays like that. And if you have a, a knowledge of also the history um, of the region, then you understand. Um, you understand how, for instance, you can understand how even terrorists operate. They, they, they nurture on frustration and people are frustrated with America, and uh, you know it's a history in the region, and, and um, that's that's something that's real and that has happened. Um, ignorance, you know exactly on what they feed. I, I you know, I, I think it's a pretty easy task to be a, a terrorist over there. You know, it's easy to recruit mm. people mm. because all the elements are there, and the elements, you know, that uh, made that make that possible, we are responsible for. And that's something you know that I know for a long time that hasn't changed because Danny was kidnapped. Um, and I keep knowing just because I've seen it. So, but you know, as you as you say, you you had uh, you had a perspective as a journalist to see that you had the opportunity. I still think, even though what you're saying has been said many times in the last few years in this country, I, I think it's very it's an abstraction for many Americans. It's not real. It's very real to you. You've been there and you've traveled there for a long time. I did, and I also, for instance, my knowledge of uh, the Muslim countries, uh, I've been traveling there since I'm a kid, 
Um, and uh, because I know a lot of uh, Muslim people and I have read the Quran and and then he was close to those countries too because he was covering the Middle East before uh, he was in South Asia. I know, so I can't be fooled, right? Uh, the people who killed Daniel and they said they do it in the name of Islam, I know that, it's, that, is, that that's wrong. That's completely, uh, that's a lie. Tell that's me. Uh, hijacking of their, you know, oh. their own religion. Okay. And, um, and if I hadn't traveled and I hadn't had my own personal experience, then I'd probably be hating Muslims by now. But it's not possible. You have to have that kind of honesty, I think. Tell me how you take those things apart. Um, acts, terror done in the name of Islam, and your, um, your, your many experiences of Islam. You know, what, what happens when that goes wrong? And what does that have to do with the core of the religion? I think it has nothing to do with the core of the religion. You know, you um, you use pretext and you use, uh, um, uh, is it just a pretext? I think the, the situation we're confronting now has nothing to do with the religion. It has to do with uh, a murky political situation. It definitely has to do with economic uh, problems. It has to do with our uh, management of the world. Uh, our you know, meaning and the, American or Western? Everybody, mm-hmm. everybody, the mm-hmm. Euro- European is also, and, and, and the Muslim world, I mean, obviously, I mm-hmm. mean, you know, with the corruption and everything. So, But it, it is a result of what we've done with the world. I mean, you know, going to God in that sense is such a hypocritical thing to me. Um, and, and justifying actions like that, you know, uh, by religion is just so completely wrong. Uh, whether you do it in the name of Islam or in the name of the Torah or the Bible, I mean, it's just, you know, this is something I just don't even pay attention to. It, to me, it's a big lie and it has been a big lie since the beginning. So, um, um, you know, I think uh, uh, we, are, we are dealing with human frustration, not divine, you know, uh, will. And... What you're saying is um, is very straightforward, but I think it's it's pretty remarkable that you can say that, having gone through what you've gone through, having lost your husband to those dynamics. Well, for my own personal um, challenge, uh, I don't. Um, you were asking me about forgiveness. Yeah. Forgiveness for me is not some. It's not an incentive. Like I have no incentive to forgive those people, and to a certain extent, uh, you know, they, uh, particularly those who made decisions are responsible for what they did and they should you know probably die for it so um i'm not forgiving them and um you know even though the situation is the way i described it it doesn't mean that everybody goes into fundamentalism and i think at some point what they learned what to do in, in terrorist camps is to even you know there's no wisdom there there's there's not any more um uh, logics uh, is just passion, right? Mm. So, um, in my own personal um, uh, challenge, I, I'm not interested in forgiving them, but I'm, I'm interested in winning over them. And I think because I've understood them and I've and I've seen them and I've faced them, I know them, and uh, I know what I'm facing, and I know how to. Thus, I know how to um, to uh, you know to to challenge it. Well, what does it mean uh, to win over them? What does that well, mean? for instance, you know, if I was uh, like, well, it means something very, um, very deep and very personal. But, uh, you know, for, to give you an example, um, if I was uh, uh, somebody who could not trust people anymore because of what happened to Danny, then they would have claimed some part of my soul, I guess. You know, mm. uh, if I was uh, overwhelmed by bitterness or if I hated Muslim, which is, you know, all of, all of those are, are goals that they're trying to achieve by act of terrorism. 
when they kill a target, whether it is 3,000 people or one person like Danny, it's the same goal. It's like, you know, it's not about the people who they kill. It's about the people who relate to them. So because the, their, what they're trying to achieve through acts of terrorism is so clear to me, so clear that I was able to um, stand up against those goals each time I did it. And that's what gave me the strength. Uh, I knew that if, you know, if I was going to be bitter, I was going to be half dead. And that's exactly what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I can't do that. Uh, it's impossible. I, but it's a child. It's a, you know, it's a defiance. It's not a forgiveness. I have no reason to forgive them. You know, defiance is not a Buddhist term, but I do sense your, I do sense a sort of fierce Buddhist uh, I'm practice a fierce Buddhist, running maybe, right? beneath that. Uh, no, Buddhism, I think, you know, there's, um, there's 84,000 teachings actually in Buddhism. So it's, you know, I guess, and I, I don't know them all at all. I'm, uh, I'm not a specialist. I know the one I practice, which, as I said, you know, is, um, uh, for instance, here's the tool. When I, uh, you know, when I feel, I have legitimate feelings of, for instance, you know, anger, uh, I, I chant to, to, to overcome that anger. And, but it's more of a determination than a prayer in a way. Um, but I use the force of Buddhism, like whatever he brings me, uh, whatever he wakes in me, to achieve my goals. Um, I don't. I, I'm. I'm not. You know. I don't look in the text to see whether it's a Buddhist attitude or not. You know. I just. Um, uh, I just. Uh, what I do is to be as honest and sincere with myself as I can be, and that really works with Buddhism. Um, and you know, I like it that it's not a. It's not a philosophy that has its moral and what is good. You don't know. You don't know what's good, what's uh, what's bad. You know, it's more like what's value creating and what's just. You know, what what isn't. Mm. So, for instance, yeah, it is it is a Buddhist victory for me to, uh, I mean that that I relate to Buddhism the fact that I can live, for instance, you know that I can love after all that and uh, that I can uh, understand. For instance, the the I think Buddhism in Pakistan I, I chanted obviously to try to save Danny, and I think what Buddhism brought me at that time was a, a, a very strong insight in what what was going on. I think. Danny and I were very, very uh, aware of what was going on, I think. In that place. Um, yes, mm-hmm. I think uh, we were in the same mind frame. I think Danny knew he could die. I think I knew he could die. Uh, and I think uh, we both knew that um, somehow we had to oppose those people. And he did it in the face of death, and he did it through gestures, and, you know, in the photos. There were photos of him, and you can see him giving the fingers or showing the V for victory. And, you know, mm-hmm. he did what he could. And um, and you know some sentences that he that he said also in um, in the video that was going to uh, uh, document his murder. Um, so he did it in the face of death, and I did it in the face of uh, of life. You know, but it's the same defiance, and uh, that's why we're really really close with with Danny. Mm. <laughs> you you know you also offer at the same time that you're telling the story in the book, you offer uh, a a very different face of. Um, Muslim, of Islam, of of the war on terror, in, in the form of the policemen and the security officers who went through that experience with you. Mm-hmm. I've, I found this such an important part of your story. There's Captain, this Pakistani, right. is he, was he a police officer? He's, a, he's an anti-terrorist um, okay. uh, person. So he's, he's, he's from the police, yeah, in some special unit, but uh, he's, um, he's from the police corps, yeah. 
And you sort of refer to him with great respect and affection as captain. Yes, I respect him a lot. Yeah, and he's really the other, another, another face of of that part of the world and this struggle that we're engaged in together. Uh, as yeah. Well, he just puts a, he puts a human face to what I was telling you earlier, which yeah. is uh, you know it's not about it's not about Islam, it's not about Muslim, it's not about even Pakistani. You know, uh, this is not it. Like you know, if people claim those um, elements or features, it's just a hijacking. And if you see the people, the Muslim people, how first of all they've been suffering from you know uh, from terrorism uh, in that part of the world is the Shia Sunni killings. Um, but also you see how, how like, can you imagine, I don't know which, which is your religion, but if someone uh, claims to be uh, of your religion to kill someone, it's horrible. It's, you know, they, they, uh, they're taking your beliefs and they're making them, you know, something that destroys. It's about hatred. Uh, it's very difficult to deal with. And that's something that Captain had. So I, that's why I, know, I knew he was going to fight so hard against those people because he was personally attacked. Tell, as a Muslim. Describe him for someone who hasn't read the book. Describe who he was and, and, and how, um, what role he played in your experience. He's a he's a man who um, who has been in the army for a long time. That's why I nicknamed him Captain, even though it's, that's like a lower grade than he was. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and then he started uh, finding terrorists, and he had been um, uh, involved in the Shia killings in in Pakistan, and uh, that's a horrible story because even in the time I was there, eleven doctors were killed. They were killing doctors, Shia doctors. Mm. So uh, 11 doctors, that's a lot of people, um, just targeted killing. So he had been um, dealing with that. He'd been and, working uh, on that, that, those cases? Yes, he'd been working on those cases. So he had seen a lot of broken families and, and people that died for nothing. I mean, killing a doctor, I mean, how you know, more ruthless can you be? Um, and just that's just because they curing other people, you know, mm. other Shia, whatever. Mm. So he, that's, the, that's the man who... Um, but he's also, uh, he's a man, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a, um, a Muslim and he's um, a practicing Muslim and, and one of the most noble men I've ever met in my life. Um, I think he's, um, you know, he's, uh, to me, he, he has all the beauty of Islam in him in what it brings to the people. I've seen, you know, people like him in other countries, what, in other parts of the world. What do you think of when you say that, when you that phrase, the beauty of Islam? It's just that he, uh, he's, um, he's a man who has very high uh, principles, and th- those principles are bring to him, brought to him by his religion, and he lives up to them, and that's what matters for him. So that makes beautiful people. Because mm. it's not only something out of yourself or, you know, the, just like the, the system in which you have been brought or whatever. It's something you have chosen for your own life. So when, when the time came, for instance, for Captain, he, he uh, you know, to decide whether he really should risk his life to save Danny, that's what, you know, went into his mind. He's like, as a Muslim, I have to do that. You know, this man is innocent. I have to save him. He and also there was no was other questions. Complete workaholic. It sounds he worked around the clock. Although he was very devoted to his own family, he was just tireless. Yeah, he's a man. He's a family man. I don't know if he's a workaholic, but it's just like the the, the fight became so intense. I think also because. You know, we were all conscious. There was not only him in this house with me. There were, 
different people. And the interesting part was that there were, you know, we ended up being two Jewish people, one Buddhist, two Catholic, and two Muslim. <laughs> so that's where we were. And, and so somehow, I think the reason why people became so deeply involved was that it was almost like, you know, two visions of the world were fighting each other. And in one hand, there were the people who were held any captive and had... Um, some fascism, you know, as as a vision to to the to the future for the future, and we were the world, and uh, mm. so it was almost two ideologies fighting each other. And I think everybody just threw themselves in 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 this battle because of this of of its um, almost symbolic value. Um, we could not let those guys uh, win. They, that cannot be, you know, the future of the world. And everybody, I think, at some point was ready to die for that. You, you also um, discuss the word jihad, which, which came into all of our vocabulary. But you, you note that, there, that you find a, a Buddhist uh, corollary to the, to the, the true and, uh, and noble meaning of jihad. Do you remember that? Right. Yeah, jihad is a, is a you know there's different level in the jihad, but it's the the most um, uh, you know elevated level is the um, the fight that you that you have on yourself like within yourself to become about a good Muslim. I mean, I, I'm synthesizing it, but you know that's that the, the higher jihad is the inner jihad, mm-hmm. and and that I know what is what it is because it is what I told you earlier about ethics about. Have, you know, living up to your own values, that's what jihad is. Um, so it's a very concrete thing. It's about daily life. It's about your relationship to others and to the world. Uh, we have the same thing, I think, in every religion, but in Buddhism, it's called the human revolution, which is the whole purpose of, 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 of Buddhism is that through an inner change, a transformation of your um, of yourself, you can change the world because, you know, but not the other, not the other way around. It means like, you can't have big, you know, ideas for the world, but if you an angry person, let's say, inside, then you cannot achieve anything. That's what I liked about Buddhism. So this concept about the re- human revolution uh, is the same than the jihad concept, and which is not surprising because I think that should be at the core of any religion. It's a tool to help people grow, I think. And uh, so I know, I mean, that's, um, that's not a surprising um, thing, you know. It's just a different mean, Islam and Buddhism, and, but it's the same purpose. And, and every religion should have the same purpose, right, it's, which is to somehow allow people to live together. You know, I'm sure someone would hear the description you just gave of these two worlds, the, the, the battle, the, the, the terrorists who were holding your husband and who killed him, and, uh, and then this world of people fighting that. And they would say that they won, that the bad guys won. Um, but that's not, that's not what comes through your book. I mean, how do you explain that? Way you came uh, they uh, for me they clearly haven't won until I'm still standing, <laughs> uh, because you know you it's nothing to take somebody's life is nothing you know uh, if you uh, if you seven eight people in a room and the person has shackled and you kill him you know then that that's not that's not a victory, and um, there is something uh, bigger than that and uh, and the spirit is what makes us human you know uh, and. That's where that's how you can 
that's the only way you can challenge the, those people because physically I can never be, I mean, I, I could never be as ruthless as they are and I'm not interested in being as ruthless as they are. So that's not even something I, I'm, I'm considering. Um, but you, cannot, you cannot get hold of a strong spirit and I think that's why Danny opposed them, that's why I opposed them and that's why hopefully our son will oppose them. And that's something, whatever you do, you can imprison someone, you can kill that person. If they resist you mentally, you, that's it. You, you, you haven't claimed anything. You've, you know, maybe have a body and, you know, whatever, even you, what you do with, to this body, you haven't had, you can't get hold of a strong spirit. And I think they know that. I think they know that. And for me, there is no, there's no, I mean, I, I have the loss to deal with and, and I miss my husband and everything. But in terms of have they won over us, I have no doubt whatsoever that they haven't. You mentioned your son just now, and we haven't even talked about the fact that when you were going through this, you were pregnant. And I have to say, for me, reading the book, um, it seemed like such a miraculous and necessary part of the story that you had a part of of Danny inside you, right? That you then brought into the world after he died. Mm -hmm. Um, So some people, I received some letters saying that he was the Messiah or he was, you know, the son of Jesus. (laughs) He's not. He's a a child and I think he's, uh, he really is the best of us, I think. Um, I'm, I'm more and more confident about this fact. And he's, he represents victory, I think, also. That, that's con- a concrete element because, you know, he could have died pretty easily just because of the stress and yeah. because of um, what we went through. And, um, you know, bringing him into the world in good health was one of my concrete... When, it's, it's a manifestation, is a result of my uh, determination not to let those people win. Mm. Uh, but if I was going to bring him into the world, I was going to bring him happiness. I was not going to bring a kid to which I had no hope to offer. So that was very clear to me. Um, so it meant, um, it meant that I had to win my, my fight. Could you and tell the story that you tell in the book about the t- two days before, just wh- how you spent the couple of days before you went into labor? Well, it was just a very, um, it was a very difficult time because um, we had found Danny's body and we had found a lot of, in Pakistan, and uh, a lot of um, details about what happened to him. And and he was very graphic and he was very, um, very horrible, very ruthless. And I was finding that out. Um, I mean, I found, I found things out uh, just by chance in a way because I was trying not to read emails and not to, uh, to, uh, to, I mean, trying to concentrate on the birth, but I did find some um, some emails and and read about it. So I realized it, the the violence is something that terrorists use as a tool. Um, violence is is made to terrify you. You know, it's a very uh, concrete, cold, uh, you know, minded thing. So. Um, the more violent they can be, the more they have, uh, um, um, you know, power over you because you can't beat them. So I knew that uh, violence was meant for us to to be paralyzed. And I knew that somehow, I mean, I was a little bit, I was worried because I knew I had never had a child. And I knew that birth is something that kind of overwhelms you and all kinds of feelings can appear or things like that. 
So I knew that the violence, you know, that that's when I had to confront the violence before I gave birth because I could not let it. Um, if I didn't do that, then it would have some power over me. Uh, it might be too much or it might be um, uh, paralyzing me or, or taking strength away from me. So I did that. And I um, isolated myself and I uh, thought about everything that I had to think about. And, um, and you know, you, you thought, I'm not going to say more than what I said in the book because part yeah. of it is very personal but, and but belongs you, to me. But you, you really thought about what you knew concretely about what had happened. Yeah, I confronted the violence, you mm-hmm. know, I, and I thought about that and I thought about... Um, you know everything that I need to think about, and I, I did it. But um, I did it in a, again in a spirit of defiance. Like it, it was something that that was the ultimate thing they could they could um, you know um, make me collapse with. You know the the, mm-hmm. the amount of violence that Danny was confronted with. Um, one thing that really helped me was that um, he died pretty fast, and he doesn't know what happened afterwards. So that's something that helped. And I was so close to him that somehow for me it was like. You know, once we dead, we dead, and you know the rest is for us to be traumatized. Uh, it's done for us. So, so, uh, so, I, so I needed to do that, and I did it. I, I isolated myself for two days, and I did that. And then he went into but, labor. Yeah, but at the end of that, two, those two days, I, you know, I knew I, it was going to be okay. Adam was going to be fine. And do you still feel that way now? Is was it was it the cathartic experience that you wanted it to be? Did you really get that out? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, yes and no. I mean, sometimes it comes back to you and that's yeah. something to deal with. Uh, but um, again, it was not, I was not trying to get over it uh, because there was no way to get over it. I was trying to um, to not let them win, you know, and letting them win was, would be anything from, um, you know, having a very difficult labor to Adam not making it. Uh, so I was I was fighting. I was not trying to uh, heal, mm. and I think I'm still in that same mood. Uh, You're still fighting. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm more fighting than I'm trying to heal. I'm not trying to heal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think you'll get there at some point? Uh, I, I, the fight will well. You know, I think the, um, the um, my my approach it's, uh, is right for me, and 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 it includes then then I, I am healing. Because I, th- I don't think you can really get over it or forget it or, mm. or uh, you know, heal from it. I, that's not really that, – I'm not even interested. I'm interested in winning because I, I think that my victory will affect deeply Danny, deeply Adam, and that's what I'm interested in. Did, did Danny name Adam uh, bef- before all of this happened? Did you name the baby when you found out yeah, he was a boy, yeah, that's Danny's. Yeah, that's his choice. And uh, and, and how, tell me about how how you chose to name him Adam, which is such a remarkable name. Well, it's um, because of the first man, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, no, it is like that. It's uh, it's, it's uh, like a wishful thinking, Adam, to us because um, Adam is um, is in his in his blood. It has, I mean, in his veins, he has blood from Iraq and from Poland, from Israel, from Holland, from Cuba. Uh, that's our four origins, and then you know his father is American, and I'm French, and it was conceived in Bombay, and blah, blah, you know, so the whole <laughs> world is in this little kid, a little child, and um, and you know, and it was a wishful thinking that you know that hopefully that would be the people in the 21st century that you know they can live with all this, you know, uh, cultures and and origins with with inside them and just be beautiful. It seems like he's he's a physical embodiment of that. 
that world, that that parallel world you described in your house in Pakistan. Um, right, exactly. All yeah. those people yeah. right. countering that world right. of terrorism. Right, exactly. <clears throat> Tell me about Adam. How old is he now? He's uh, almost two years old. Yeah. What's he and like? He's very, uh, he's very, uh, he's, uh, he's adorable. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I'm not objective, but... Um, you know, he looks adorable. I saw his he's picture. He's very, he's very nice. He's a very um, caring and loving and funny little child. He's, he's pretty easy. I, I haven't been through the tantrum phase, so maybe it's going to happen. <laughs> but right now he's a very um, easygoing. He's a good traveler, <laughs> obviously. And um, he's, uh, he's very joyful. He's a very joyful kid. Mm. I know you worried so much, which any, I mean, mothers worry, pregnant women worry about everything. And then you were going through this huge trauma of how this would all be affecting him, what you were going through. I mean, do you still think about that as you watch him grow? Uh, People were more worried than I was. Uh, I think um, uh, a lot of people around me were completely uh, so scared that he would be everything. Uh, And I wasn't scared because... To me, um, it felt like we're either going to make it or not. But for this, during this whole time, we were, it felt to me like we were one entity. So I was not making any separation between me and Adam at that time um, because it was just such a life and death situation. So uh, it, it's a, that's something very difficult to, to communicate. But I did, he was always, a, for me, um, like as I wrote in the book, I, I trusted him. And I don't know how you can trust a fetus, you know. Yeah, um, you did. But, you said you trusted him. Yeah, no, but I did. I really did. Like I knew, um, I felt like, you know, okay, I don't have to worry about him. Or, or if I had, then, then, then it's about all of us. It's about the three of us. So uh, to me, he was just part of us. And, and he was exactly in the same fate. Um, he was more actually a reassuring presence than he was... Um, something I'm, I mean, a, a person I was worried about. I um, uh, p- people panicked around me. That that's that's for sure. They really wanted like a doctor to come, and I knew that you know it was it was deeper than that. We it was a, it was a deeper battle than you know than regular worries that people have. Same thing when I, when I gave birth and people told me about the baby blues. I was like, you know what. <laughs> Uh, you know, sure, you know, I have a baby blue, whatever. You know, it's um, it was uh, much deeper than that. So, um, uh, yeah, you know, it's um, the only thing for me is, is you know, I'm going to have to tell him the story. So I'm going to have yeah. to to uh, to find the, the worlds and um, and I will. Um, so, you know, when you think of him growing as an individual, like, like as, as, a, as a third person, then, you know, you have to just see how you're going to deal with the situation. But it's his fate. It's his story, too. And uh, um, I don't know. I think um, he's going to have a strong sense of his father. I think he will, too. You, yeah. um, He's two. I mean, does he know about his father at all? Or is, is, I don't remember. He's little. He, he sees yeah. uh, pictures and... Um, okay. You know, and he sees his grandparents and his aunts and uh, then his family. Um, so he sees pictures. He sees, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, you don't talk to <laughs> two years old about yeah. these things, you know. I wonder if you, you, you published your, your memoir really pretty quickly after mm-hmm. the events. And I wonder if just at this remove of months, um, is there anything, as you've continued to live with this and make sense of it, that you think you might have written differently or included? Not at all. Okay. I have absolutely no regret. I, I um, 
uh, there's, there are things I haven't wrote, written about and I could write about, but this the, the purpose of this book was um, to give my uh, to just give my experience and my my from my point of view tell the story from my point of view and I did exactly that and I just went back step by step to everything that we had um, uh, you know went through and and with no I didn't step back I didn't I didn't interview anybody I just told my experience <laughs> and I needed to do that for Adam so it's just that he knows the truth what I'm going to tell him 10 years from now we'll have 10 years of you know distance and and our lives will be different. I needed him to know exactly what happened, and that's exactly what I wrote. Not a not a word more than that, or less. The way you end the book with letters that came to you, addressed mostly to you and Adam after after Danny's body was found. Th- those letters were so moving. <laughs> I mean, they were mm-hmm. moving yeah, for me to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me. Uh, if I if I asked you what uh, you 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 received so many letters, but if I just ask you to to talk about a couple of them that were most meaningful or helpful or memorable, you know what comes to mind? Well, one of them is um is a lady um an older lady from Syracuse, New York, who sent me a ten dollar check, and I have kept that check. Actually, I have to confess, I never cashed it. <laughs> Because, um, because she, for me, she represents the number of people who, um, who just expressed everything they could to to help, um, and and an amazing empathy. So um, those letters, uh, there's from the from that kind of people to a man that is on a death row, for instance, in Pakistan. Yes, for I remember that one. Yeah, you know, and he's going to die, and still he thinks that it's important that he communicates that, uh, in, you know, his solidarity to us and and um, and he's worried that we have the wrong impression of Islam. And uh, uh, to me, you know, it feels like a lot of those letters were written with like raw soul. There was no personal interest there. There was just a real solidarity. And to me, they're very important, those letters, because I think, you know, from uh, really like we were talking about Adam and I think, you know, he's going to have to confront like a, a, a story of absolute darkness because that's exactly what those guys are. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, you can only oppose light to darkness. And that light uh, is those letters. Mm-hmm. I mean, those letters, that that's what they represent for me because to that you can only, you know, light and, and the only light we have is the light of our humanism, right? Mm. And that's what they express, uh, wherever they come from. You know, they can, you know, some people are very known, some people are not well Right, there are several presidents in there, but there are also yeah. just average But whatever, people. I mean, you know, it's not, yeah, exactly, it's not like, um, there's less chance maybe that a president would be sincere, you know, and I published those I thought were sincere. Um, but, you know, it comes down to, because it's about a life and death, and uh, it comes down, and, and the death of an innocent man, uh, to humanism. You know, there's something common to all of us we can all express, and, and they have those people. And for Adam, they are, I think, going to be the balance that will make the world a possible place to live. Well, I think we've come to the end. I want to see okay. if there are any questions from behind the glass. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be listening for a moment, so I'll be quiet. Okay.
just want to ask you two more questions. I, I just want to say this has been really wonderful, and I'm, I'm so glad that, that, we had, that we've had this hour. And um, I want to ask you a couple more questions. Uh, just if you... Um, I wonder if you could take us inside that house in Pakistan um, as you've learned that Danny had died. Um, Tell me, tell me what happened and where all these wonderful spiritual, this wonderful spiritual balance that you have, what was that with you in that moment? Well, I think, um, as I said earlier, I, um, what the real benefit of, of uh, having practiced and chanted uh, at that moment, I think, was that I was so clear on what was going on. Um, at, this is a time where I didn't think about myself at all. I mean, I had to think. Um, for the first time, I thought, okay, the reality is like he, one of us made it and the other one didn't. So that's, I had to confront that. But otherwise, um, I was so clear on who killed Danny and why they killed Danny and what I had to do to, um, to oppose that, that um, that's what saved my life, I think. Um, uh, it was a time where if... If I had to, if I was going to live on, because at some point, you know, we're going to forget or get over it, I don't think I would have done anything like that. So, was um, it was it um, your your friend and protector, Captain, who who gave you the news when they finally yes. learned? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, and I I know it was very striking how broken-hearted he was and all the people. All the police yeah, officers. Crying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a very uh, strange um, thing to see all these um, tough guys, because they are very tough guys. You know? Obviously, they're fighting tough guys, too. So they are very trained and very, um, um, you know, emotionally and physically. And uh, But they were all crying because they had involved themselves so much and because... Uh, then he was dead and because they liked me and they were felt a real kinship, I think, with me and with Adam. And I think they they did that because they thought I was very courageous. And uh, that gave them a lot of hope, <laughs> I think. Uh, so that's uh, that was my role in this house. Um, yeah. To give everyone else hope. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, it would have been different if I, if I had been, you know, if I had, I think that's what, Buddha, I mean, it may be difficult to convey, but that's what Buddhism brought me at that moment. I, I was up, I mean, I could face uh, what happened. And if I had, I had someone who were was more, um, you know, uh, de- uh, was less, uh, had more, less defenses, it would have been a completely different story. Um, we, we, we led a war. It was a war. And, but that was, um, possible because of me. And, um, and it's not really me, but it was faith at that moment. Mm. And Buddhism, I think one of the big aspects of Buddhism is the, is the wisdom, is insight. That's what it brings you. So I really needed that at the time. Now, as you've stayed in touch with all those men, those tough men who were crying, um, have, have they also continued to fight? And do they also have the same sense that you do that even though Danny's body was found and they had failed in that sense, that, that there was a victory that had taken place? Yes, because they, um, I mean, they, uh, they had a, um, a sense of, uh, of uh, having not brought Danny back home. So that, of course, you know, was, uh, was there. But when they saw me um, the next day and I 
gathered them and I said, you know what, I'm need, uh, this is what I'm going to do. And I told them I was going to go see the different presidents I had in mind and tell them about them and tell them about what really Al-Qaeda looks like and what I share my experience and et cetera. So I gave them my battle plan. Uh, then they, uh, you know, they uh, they realized uh, it wasn't words. Like I really had won something that you couldn't uh, really grasp. 